Hi, I'm Karen Sarlo, and this is Coffee with the Sarlos. I'm Kelly Sarlo, and today we're joined um, by a very special guest, local celebrity, as some of you know him, uh, but also, and I guess first and foremost, a very genuine gentleman, Andrew Morrison, owner and creator of the Escape Movement. Welcome. Hello. It's nice to be here. Hello, Andrew. We're, uh, we're super excited. Um, a couple of weeks back, you and I ran into each other in the mall, mm-hmm. and we got talking about each other's businesses, and I had uh, asked you if you would come on to the podcast with us, and you kind of, you agreed with not much direction, you, you, so I'm not even sure that you really understood what you were coming here for. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, Karen and I have been discussing this for quite a few weeks now, uh, what our intention is, and we are both excited about b- the business aspect, but um, I think bigger than that, the man behind the business. So if you're comfortable, we're, we're excited to talk about both. Sounds great to me. Good? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, do you want to start or do you want me to? You go ahead. Okay. Um, this is an area of passion for both both Karen and I, for sure, because um, we're, we're big about education. And what we're doing with these podcasts um, is a lot about educating people um, in a very probably non-traditional way is the best way to put it. And when we asked to have you on the show and we were thinking up questions and, and how we wanted to, to help present you, um, was how you got through the school system. That's interesting. Uh, for me, school uh, was never something I enjoyed from a, from a little kid. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a really good first experience as a young boy going to school. Um, I was kind of uh, not welcomed by my peers at a young age, so okay. it was never something I looked forward to going to um uh as i got older you know began to find my place found my classes that i enjoyed began to find um you know the classes that i didn't enjoy so much uh pretty quickly and i discovered that if i was really interested in a topic if i was passionate about something i'd excel it would be no problem for me to get a 90 plus grade (laughs) If it was something that uh, I wasn't so interested in, uh, my grades would falter and I'd be lucky to pass or just get by. Um, and it was pretty cut and dry. It was black and white. So looking back on my report cards, I can tell. And sometimes that had to do with a teacher. Mm-hmm. In some circumstances, my grades would differ just depending on the teacher that I had. And one example of that was uh, failing math one year, going back and redoing it with a different teacher and getting uh, 90 mm-hmm. so you know yeah, it's just very cool. yeah so my experience with school um you know life has been better since school has <laughs> passed i can say that for sure yeah yeah andrew did you have a bit of depression did i um yeah i mean that's that's a definitely a personal uh question but i'd say up until about grade five those were like extremely difficult years for me looking back on that until grade five yeah wow okay so if, if you're good with it um because I, I, we have so many clients who bring their children in to see mm-hmm, us mm-hmm. and they don't understand why they're not excelling in school why they're not paying attention mm-hmm. which we know really isn't the case it's mm-hmm. more of what you're talking about uh and people always say at that young of an age what do they have to be depressed about and here you are saying it was up until grade five, not afterward. Yeah, I mean, it lingered afterwards, but um, not to the same extent. Like grade five would have been kind of the pinnacle. And it's interesting. Um, if 
for me, it wasn't necessarily the educational portion of it and struggling with grades and, you know, homework and Mm -hmm. that it was, uh, peers. That was the most challenging thing for me. And, uh, you know, it was a very difficult time up until grade five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you could say I dealt with a lot of, um, bullies at that time, um, dealt with a lot of issues that you really shouldn't have to face at those ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I would finally move schools in grade six and it was a real breath of fresh air. It was the first time in my life that people, you know, my peers treated me with respect, mm-hmm. uh, treated me as a friend and I made friends for the first time. And at that time it was, it was almost a shock because I remember going my first day and I was expecting everybody to not like me, to treat mm-hmm. me poorly. Um, and I was expecting more of the same and I was surprised that that wasn't the case. And then I started to see things in a different light and, uh, it's amazing how going from, you know, five or six years of being treated a certain way and that finally being gone, how your perspective begins to shift and change. And I remember a lot of people telling me like, wow, you're so happy you know, even in like situations where most people wouldn't be happy, I'd find a way to be happy. And I think it was because, you know, the situation, even if it wasn't a good situation, was still a lot better than what I was dealing with before. So, and I found that sort of thing in my life where going through hardship in any way makes you really appreciate the very small things in life. So different experiences have taught me that. And, uh, you know, going without something for a long period of time has been a really great way of making me really grateful for having even like the simple things in life. And one example of that would be just going to bed in a comfortable bed every night. I don't think Mm -hmm. in North America, most people even realize how incredible sleeping in you know, a very comfortable bed with sheets and warmth Mm -hmm. is. Uh, And I guess I'll explain. When I had my store in Toronto, um, it was a difficult time for us. Things weren't going so well. And I was actually sleeping in a sleeping bag on skids in the back of the shop. And skids have like a board and then a space and a board and a space. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't even a even surface, but I had to sleep on the skids because the cement floor was, was too cold. Mm -hmm. Um, in the winter, anyway, in the summertime, the room was super, super hot. And then in the winter, it was really, really cold. So sleeping bag on the skids was kind of the the best option for me. And, uh, I would go down for a few days at a time and do what I needed to do and come back. And it became harder and harder to go down because I did not want to sleep on the skids, but Mm -hmm. I would go and do it. But what I've taken away from that is every night just crawling into bed and having a comfortable bed. I'm just incredibly grateful for that every single day. And it's a simple thing, but I know that just having that, you know, just that small thing Mm -hmm. at the end of every day is just so nice no matter what's happened or what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, you can really look at how lucky you are to have that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about a pretty strong driving force mm-hmm. to to accomplish your your goal mm-hmm. of bringing 
your line of clothing and the dream behind the line of clothing mm-hmm. and the intention that you were trying, you are still trying to bring to people mm-hmm. that that is what you are willing to do to help other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny because sometimes I don't know where the drive comes from to, to keep going, but I just know to never give up. So, sorry, I, I interrupted you. Mm. I was going to ask maybe before, because I want to go back to the, to the schooling system. Yeah, that's okay. where I was yeah. going. <laughs> However, I think maybe it'd be a good idea, because we, we talked before that our demographics are probably a little different from uh, what we see in our clientele to what you see in the shop. So maybe it's a great idea to start first by saying um, what your business is and what sure. it's all about. Is that okay? Sure, yeah. Okay. Um so the Escape Movement is a, a clothing brand I started five years ago. Uh, the idea uh, came about about six and a half years before that. <clears throat> and uh, I had always been interested in making clothing. <clears throat> Not always, but I kind of stumbled into it, really. I uh, After high school, I couldn't afford post-secondary school. So I'd taken a leap year to kind of figure things out. Um, and I was bouncing back and forth between a number of different jobs at times working as many as 90 hours a week, uh, which was too much, but Mm -hmm. I was trying to, I think, find self-worth and, you know, uh, you know, proving that I could make money and kind of make it. Uh, but along that path, one of my friends, uh, Jeff was, uh, making belts at legit tricks at the time and he ended up selling his equipment he was going to find a real job you know he was moving on to uh-huh. go work at a bank and make money and yeah yeah so okay, he was that home. selling off his equipment and uh you know luckily for me i was interested it was the right time right place i think i wanted to buy a belt from him and he told me um you know hey i'm selling this if you're interested come in one day i'll teach you how to make a belt and uh if you're interested i'll sell you my equipment because I'd been working so much, I had some extra cash, uh, and I took him up on the offer right away. I think I went in the next day, um, or the next day that I had off, and he showed me how to dye the leather and set studs, and, uh, you know, instantly when I got my hands on the dye, I started painting with it and creating different colors in the, in the, in the, uh, in the piece, and I remember, uh, the first thing I did is I made the, the belt look like it was wood, like a wood grain effect. Oh, cool. And then I painted like a wave cresting and then I took some studs and kind of put the studs around the wave and in the wood. And he's like, I've never seen anybody do that. You know, <laughs> like for him, it was just let's dye the belt one color, put yeah. the studs in, maybe write someone's name in the studs. And I'd kind of did something different with it. And he's like, yeah, you should take this. I think you're going to have fun <laughs> with it. So I ended up buying his equipment for a few hundred bucks, started making belts and uh, was just having fun with it. Um, I had been into painting and had other hobbies but now this seemed like a hobby that I could make money at and at that time that was kind of interesting to make money and do something I like to do this is fun however the cost of making a belt was you know you'd spend 30 40 dollars in materials if you're doing stud work you could spend seven or eight hours setting the studs in the belt and it was very difficult to sell the belt for more than 60 or 70 dollars 80 if it was really customized um, but you know, at that, I was making a few dollars an hour. It wasn't really paying off, but I enjoyed doing it. So I continued to do it. 
And uh, luckily for me, my friend Chris Lassard suggested that I make t-shirts to advertise the belts that I was making. <laughs> so, you know, I knew a little bit about branding. So I said to him, you know, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to need a name brand and a logo. And he's like, yeah, you should do that. Come up with something. So one night we were going to a party. It was a Friday night. And uh, we're sitting in my mom's van. And uh, uh, I was like, hey, guys, before we go anywhere, I'm going to register my business at the business center tomorrow. I need a name. And Tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, you're starting a business? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to make belts and I'm going to need some T-shirts. So we started tossing ideas around for the name. And uh, I remember I was like, guys, guys, I'm in a dilemma. I'm in a dilemma here. Hey, maybe we should call it Dilemma. And then uh, one of my friends was like, why don't you uh, call it like Dill Emma? And I'm like, why don't I just call it Llama or something? And it kind of like yeah. broke up into all these different forms of like Dill and Lemma and Dill and Lemma. And then I was like, what about Llama though? That's a funny word. It starts with two L's. I bet you people would remember that. And... Uh, and we kind of went back and forth with that idea for a bit. And all my friends were like, hey, let's just go to the party. And it kind of ended there. So the next morning when I was in a dilemma trying to come up with a name, mm -hmm. I just wrote llama on the paper. And that was that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. In and the back of a van too. No in a, yeah. Yeah. On a Friday night. So it was Monday morning. I think I wouldn't register the business. But Friday night we had yeah. the discussion. And, uh, and then I remember telling my friends like, yeah, it's, you know, llama. And they're like, what? You, you're actually, you went and did it? And I'm like, yeah, of course. And then, uh, shortly thereafter I went and had t-shirts printed for me. And I remember going to buy them because I was young. They didn't take me serious. So a few weeks, how young are we talking about? um, 18. So I, you know, went back three weeks later and they're like, oh, we didn't think you were serious. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm serious. <laughs> So I was like, okay, um, well, here's my logo. Let's have this discussion again. And they're like, okay, well, do you have the money up front? We don't want to get, you know, stiff. They automatically assumed I didn't have the money. So I was like, yep, got the money, brought it in. Again, I was working 90 hours a week, so money wasn't much of an issue there. Um, and I remember, to my surprise, I ordered about 50 t-shirts. And I think we sold all of them within 48 hours. Wow. So that, that was... local? Yeah. 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 Okay. And so, um, I, you know, really surprised myself there. And so I was like, okay, well, we need a different design. So I kind of came up with a different logo. Um, I remember I cut and pasted uh, lettering from newsprint and kind of put the mm -hmm. name together like that. And then people seemed to like that. They didn't sell as quick. But, uh, you know, I was kind of hooked at that point. This was midsummer. And the idea of going back to school was coming up and I'd worked hard and saved up money to go to school, but I didn't know what I wanted to do still. And I didn't know if I wanted to waste my time and money mm -hmm. pursuing a program that I wasn't passionate about. So what I was passionate about was clothing. Mm -hmm. Luckily for me, I followed my instincts to just try it out. And I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I've got to kind of do it big. You know, I got to put a line together and I got to, you know, throw a party to like celebrate the launch of the brand. And uh, so I did just that. I took the next couple of months to put together at the time, I think it was 10 different designs that we spread across different colored t-shirts and hoodies. And then I made a whole bunch of belts. I don't know if I made much else, belt buckles. Um, 
and a few other things. And then, uh, luckily for me at the time I was a snowboard instructor and I knew the people at the ski hill very well. And they have this big like silo room, like mm -hmm. lookout tower, not a silo, but a lookout tower. And it's a big octagon shaped room. And I'm like, Hey, do you mind if I rent that space from you to host uh, like a showcase on a Saturday? And they're like, yeah, we'll work out a contract and no problem. And uh, my friends who were skateboarding at the time had put together a video. I'm like, well, I'll tell you what, at our party, I'll showcase your video and we'll do something to like celebrate together. So I ended up booking the West Ferris Hockey Arena. They have this upstairs room and we got a projector and I was like, that'll be the after party. So, um, yeah, I remember a lot of things came together last minute. Um, we had attempted to do the screen printing locally but i learned how to screen print in this time with my friend in his basement this is kind of a different story but as i was learning to make the belts uh and screen print tees by chance i met a fellow named hunter who was screen printing t-shirts himself in his mom's basement this is all very sketch <laughs> yeah and <laughs> you know self-taught yeah yeah it's fantastic and i mean like no windows in the basement and like we didn't know what we we're doing and screen printing you are dealing with some hazardous chemicals mm -hmm. and stuff um and we really didn't know how to reclaim the screens properly we didn't have the proper uh solutions to do it so we were trying things like javex and it would work but it would take hours mm -hmm. did you get high <laughs> no <laughs> i mean well, off the javex <laughs> we, we might have got headaches <laughs> And I might have memory issues now. As, uh, Did you break out in rashes? Uh, there were times where my hands were probably pretty dry from it. Yeah. yeah, it was, you know. That's nasty stuff. Yeah, but we're, and then, you know, we do work for clients, but I, I learned how screen printing worked. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know how to do it properly at that time. So he moved away to Toronto to pursue screen printing. And he started working for um, this gentleman down there. And, uh, so I ended up getting my screen printing done through him when he was in Toronto because at the time I didn't have my own equipment or a way of doing it. But I remember taking the back seat out of, uh, well, it would have been my girlfriend's car at the time, not even mine, uh, at her parents' house and they live in Astorville. And it was like four in the morning. I woke up, took the back seat out of the car and the side seat out of the car. And I didn't even know how this worked, but her dad was a mechanic well, handyman, and he told me, like, hey, use this, and it'll, you know, pop mm -hmm. all these bolts off, the seats will come out, four in the morning, pulling all the seats out, and I'll never forget, at one point, when I'm out there in the dark, the wind came and blew something over and scared the bejeebas out of me, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was very funny, took everything out, except for the seat that I was in, drove down to Toronto, and this was a little car, a little Mazda 323, mm -hmm. little hatchback, the door didn't even open on the driver's side, and I had a lot of fun climbing in and out of the window. It kind of yeah. felt like I was in a 1980s, you know, <laughs> yeah. drama. You're Batman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was cool. So go down there to pick everything up. And I spent every dime I had on these t-shirts, like mm -hmm. print, printing everything that I had. Um, and a few things came up. But I just, I remember filling the car to the roof. And the guy wanted cash. So I went to the bank to withdraw everything I had to give to this guy. And as I'm in the bank, another guy comes in behind me with two pit bulls. And I'd never been to Toronto before and we're in like the Liberty Village area. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, it's kind of like a nicely developed area now, but at the time it wasn't so much. This was like the bank that was there was one of the newer features. And so when this guy comes in with these two dogs, I'm thinking to myself, here I am pulling out $10,000. Mm-hmm. This guy is going to rob me. You know, it's Toronto. You yeah. know, my mom's warned me of this my whole life. <laughs> the big city. Yeah, I'm getting robbed. This guy is going to sick his dogs on me. And I was ready to give it to him. I'm like, oh, well, this is what's happening. And to my surprise, like, he just wanted to use a bank machine like every other person. And I just walked past him with my $10,000 and, like, walked to the guy and, you know, gave him all my money. And uh, I'll never forget, um, I had $7 in my account. Mm-hmm. And on the way in to pick up the t-shirts, I had made a left-hand turn at like five to six on a street where you can't make left-hand turns in Toronto. I didn't know this. I'm following MapQuested directions at the time. And I end up getting uh, a ticket for that and a ticket for not having the right insurance in the vehicle. Mm -hmm. And it ended up costing me $300. So for the first time in my life, after paying him, I was at a deficit. Yeah. You know because uh, I had these tickets to pay for when I got home. So I spent it all, drove back home. This was a Thursday night. Friday, we had to get everything ready. So wake up early, fold all these t-shirts, get everything going. He had printed stuff wrong, wrong colors of ink, just like a disaster. But something that I've learned, you know, in the process, like things go wrong. So we just kind of deal with it. We set it up, turn it into this showcase couple of my buddies were like trying to sneak in and see what we were doing and then the next day people showed up and I didn't know what the turnout was going to be but a lot of people came by and purchased some items and uh we never made that ten thousand dollars back this is one of those things like that never happened but I think that day I made about two thousand dollars in a day and for me as a young Mm -hmm. person I didn't look at the fact that I, you know, had $8,000 to make up. You know, my account's $8,000 less than it was. Mm-hmm. I just saw the fact that I made $2,000 in, in a day. This is amazing. And then we went and had the after party and, you know, that was great. And uh, to be honest with you, I don't think I sold many of those t-shirts after that. They just kind of sat there in boxes and what are we going to do with this? And I tried here and there. Um, but that's kind of where I got my beginning. And mm-hmm. then I did this. Oh, I'd say that was 2005. I did this up until 2008. And then, so we did consecutive years. Um, in 2006, I bought my own screen printing equipment. Had a small apartment. Set it up in my, in my apartment in the spare bedroom. And the equipment had an inch of clearance to operate in the room. So if you've never seen a screen printing apparatus just imagine like helicopter blades yeah um so each screen kind of sits on an arm and then it can spin around and there's a space in between so it kind of looks like a helicopter Mm -hmm. easiest way to describe it and then you have a pallet that sits on another helicopter blade that you slide the t-shirts on um and so i would have my inks in one corner of the room and i'd have to walk in between like the two blades Mm -hmm. To work my way over to the opposite side of the room to get my inks and then walk with all the equipment back over to like set everything up. And I had my back up against the wall and, you know, and, uh, when I first started learning, I wasn't doing it right because I had learned from my friend's method and I was struggling and this wasn't working. And I had this deadline again because we had another party coming up. I had to have everything ready. Um, 
and it wasn't working out. So I called my friend who was working at a screen printing place. I'm like, hey man, I'm in a real pinch. Do you mind helping me? So he helped me again that year. And I went down for a few days this time and volunteered as uh, a way of them compensating my work. But volunteering also taught me how to do it right. Mm -hmm. So they got me doing the dirty jobs and the jobs that, you know, nobody wants to do. But then I learned how to do those dirty jobs right. And then I just watched. I didn't really even ask questions. Here and there I would. But I would just make notes, little things like, oh, you know, they hold the squeegee on a 45 degree angle. and. Wow. They hold it like this and I had little pictures and when I went home, I had all my notes and I just, it worked. I finally like had a system now when I went back, I knew what I was doing. I still made mistakes, but I learned how to fix my mistakes and then I was printing. Mm -hmm. So that season, the collection came out. Next season, people started to find out that I screen printed out of my bedroom and I started printing shirts for bands and I made a lot of friends this way. Cool. You know, like their first memory is coming to my place seeing this like dungeon room that I have and I'd go in with a gas mask and you know uh the funny thing is you have this laser thermometer that's really sensitive and it'll tell you like if you point it at the palm of your hand what temperature your hand is and if you go to your fingertip it'll even show you like the difference in temperature from your fingertip to your palm which is usually like 15 degrees Fahrenheit which is kind of neat to know mm -hmm. and see um on a thermometer and I'll never forget one night in the summer it was like 44 degrees in my room like the walls were 44 degrees as i'm screen printing in my boxer shorts standing in a puddle of sweat no trying to get this job done for a client oh. with a small window and fans going trying to vent the place but that was common and i you know i'm still working a full-time job so a lot of times i screen print at night when it was cooler a little more refreshing but then i just yeah the he was unbearable yeah yeah. So I'd be finishing these jobs for my friends at like four in the morning and sometimes, you know, waking up and delivering them at, you know, eight or nine to get them, mm -hmm. you know, delivered on time. This does not sound glamorous. No, not oh. glamorous at all. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think that's that's important, Andrew, because I think when people see what we wouldn't call maybe a celebrity or what we think is a successful person, mm -hmm. quite often we know there might be a hard story behind it, but we still glorify even the hard mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about the smells and the chemicals and the mm -hmm. conditions and stuff, when, when people listen to that, um, that to follow your dream requires that it gets dirty oh, and, yeah. that, and that you don't always meet with success along the way, yeah. um, what kind of keeps driving you uh, to do it versus getting your ass back into a college or university mm -hmm. because a lot of society and parents and teachers or whatever, bosses, that's where the drive is, is that you're supposed to be in a school and you're still going through all of these difficult things, but still not going into the traditional way of where society might say, is this not a mess? Is this not difficult? Do you not want an easier path? Doesn't it look like a school over there? Yeah. And you're still doing your dream, uh, even when it's messy. I, lo I loved, cause I, I went to university and did the boring stuff. Um, I loved that your notes were pictures. Like yeah. hand drawn. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic to me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that just comes from, you know, how I learn. Right. And, and you point this out, like I, yeah. I haven't even noticed that, but yeah, for me, I had to draw a picture with arrows and everything because then even to this day, I'll doodle something as opposed to writing it out. Because when I look at the doodle, I get a visual memory of exactly what I'm looking at. So it's, it's a lot easier for me to do that. 
Cool. This yeah. is fun because this is this is where um, I think eventually we want to take the conversation. Okay. Um, and actually, when I originally asked you about getting your start, I had thought, given um, what you've kind of put on, on your website, that the start was BC out west. Well, the start for the escape movement. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I love I love all this backstory because mm. I think it ties into what we initially asked about education. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of want to jump back and forth. Okay. So, well, we can fast forward a little yeah. bit and get to, to that part because that's the, kind of the next step. So we did um, you know, a few more years, like I was saying, of, of the brand Llama. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was seeing a young girl at the time. And she helped out with the brand um, in terms of you know doing web development stuff. And uh, she was kind of a whiz on a computer. And I knew nothing about computers. At 18, mm-hmm. I got my first email address. <laughs> and I, I refused to go on MSN. And I, I did all my original designs by hand. Um, and then slowly she convinced me to buy a computer much like your Mac over here. And that's one of my big investments when we moved into this apartment, like drain my accounts buying like a 20 uh-huh. or $2,000 Mac. Um, <clears throat> but I never got to use it. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really, you know, it was never my thing. It was kind of like her thing. So, um, I didn't know much about the programs or how they worked. And that was something that I taught myself when I moved to Whistler. So I would go in and I'd have my art and have everything the way I'd want. And then she would... Hand drawn, you're talking? Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, different elements. I could kind of put them together. Mm-hmm. But areas where I'd struggle, let's say, in Photoshop, she kind of knew what was going on. So she would kind of mm-hmm. direct me. But without her direction, I had a you know hard time you know mm-hmm. getting through it. So uh, she was a big help in that regard. But uh, things ended and um, there was kind of this whole you can't do the brand without me sort of thing was like one of her last words. And um, I remember thinking to myself, you know, I was ready to just give her everything, you know, like you can have it even though it was something I worked, you know, night and day for and invested all my time and energy into I just, uh, for me, it was, I don't know. Uh, I knew there was like time for a change. Um, so the night that we broke up and we kind of been on and off, on and off for about six months, I booked a flight to Whistler and that was kind of like the, the closing of the relationship. We were moving out. We knew we were moving out. We had broke up again. So I booked a flight to Whistler and then it became real. You really do do things big. Because that was the comment that happened before we started talking. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and I'd always wanted to go. And for me, it was like, if I don't go, maybe I never will. So this is the time to go. Mm -hmm. Um, We had a pretty successful year with Llama. It was probably our most successful year. So you took Llama out west? Yeah, took it out west. Actually, so we launched, we usually do our launches in the fall or around Christmas. Um, we did another one. We were working with the wall for our parties. Mm-hmm. Um, this year it was a third or fourth. It was our fourth collection. So I'd learned from all my past mistakes and I think we'd started to get a reputation and people knew. So when we launched, we ended up having pretty good success. And then, uh, we ended up getting an opportunity to open up a store on main street. So I was still working full time at cheapskates. Mm-hmm. screen printing not so much in the evenings at that time but had a few clients that were looking for work uh cleaning floors which i did throughout all of this to kind of like cover my own personal mm-hmm. you know life expenses 
And then, uh, yeah, now we had the store. And I remember going from five days a week to four days a week. And uh, we run the store downtown. And some days we'd have to close because nobody was able to work it. And, you know, just kind of did our thing. But, uh, you know, I remember opening up. And we had an afternoon to decorate the store and going in. And it was a dive. And so I was like, okay, go to Fabricland and buy fabric. And we draped the walls with fabric. And I had these these photos that we had framed with Dollarama frames. And we kind of hung up around the, around the shop. And then my dad had the bright idea. There was a really terrible stain on the floor. He's like, I got an idea. I'll be back. And he took off to Canadian Tire. And he bought that, like, green fake grass. grass. <laughs> and he put it down at the entrance of the store uh so and like the fabric colors we had hanging up around were like blue and gold and the brand at the time was was very colorful uh the reason it was so colorful is because we didn't print the same uh graphic on the same color and size Mm -hmm. so if we did a let's say blue we do a small medium large extra large blue and then we do a small medium large extra large red and so each piece was unique and one of a kind. So that was kind of cool. And that's one of the things that when I look back on Llama that I think is pretty neat is those last three seasons, no two people have the same shirt. So each one is kind of like a work of art. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so. That's exhausting. Yeah. And another like fun fact about that store, we closed and I had my computer. And at the time I had a machine that makes stickers, which I still use to this day. And all my product and we piled all of it into one corner of the room i went in to pick everything up one night we were gonna wait to go and do it another day i'm like no let's just get it done i don't want to have to worry about the space anymore mm-hmm. we went back to give our keys back to the landlord the following day and a pipe had broke in the ceiling above the store and where all the water flooded was right over everything so my computer would have been gone, yeah. all my machinery would have been gone, all my product would have been gone. And I had no insurance or anything at that time. It just didn't exist in my mind to do something like that. So we would have lost everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, luckily mm-hmm. for me, I got everything out the day before. And then the landlord had to go and deal with this mess. And that could have happened at any time. But it was just, yeah. you know, a very interesting fluke. So took off to Whistler. It was the year before um, the Olympics. And if anybody was out west that year, they'll recall it was a very dry season, very uh, low snow year. I remember going up the mountain for the first time and there was more rock than snow in a lot of areas Mm -hmm. at the top of the mountain. And it was just, you know, you go there expecting fresh snow and this like glamorous lifestyle. And it was, you know, icy and hard pack and not fun to ride and uh kind of disappointing and foggy and you know uh it was kind of like okay well this is reality i'm out here i'll deal with it and the week that i move out there uh between whistler and blackcomb they laid off 500 people so now i'm handing out resumes trying to find work along with 500 other people mm-hmm. and i ended up working for a guy uh for two weeks who was a screen printer out there doing all the dirty work doing all the stuff that he didn't want to do cleaning up his shop and even printing uh, a six color print, which is a difficult print to do because he couldn't do it. Only to find out when it came to payday that that was my training and that, uh, you know, we can discuss getting paid later. So after wasting two weeks of my vacation in Whistler, 
not getting paid, I just came, you know, to the conclusion, like, I'm not going to get a job. There's no point in me looking any further and wasting my time with this guy. I'll just figure things out. And I just accepted the fact that I was going to spend a lot of money in the next couple of weeks just trying to, you know, enjoy my life out there. But did it on a budget and, uh, you know, just kind of figure things out. So two weeks of being in Whistler at that point, I'd heard rumors of this trail you could walk up. Uh, that would get you to the second chairlift on the mountain. And they don't check passes on the second chairlift. So Whistler was broken into three parts, lower zone, mid zone, and upper zone. If you could walk up a third of the mountain, you got on for free. And uh, I heard it was in this area of Whistler called Brio. And that's all I knew. I got off the bus one day in Brio and I said, I'm going to find it. And it's funny looking back on it. I, I walked up through somebody's backyard into like bush in the middle of nowhere. There wasn't really even a trail. And luckily for me, I just kept walking and walking in bush. I could have got totally lost in the middle of winter and found a trail. And luckily I started walking in the right direction when I got on this trail. And as I was walking, I met this, this Venezuelan guy named Paval and this old man I can't remember his name. This is fantastic. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know the route. Follow us. Have you met Paulo Coelho? I have not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. If, 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 you, if you go home and research him later. Okay. Um, and you find out about his books, you're totally going to understand why I'm asking you this. Okay. You're like a character in one of his books. Yeah. It's, it's like yeah. His, huh. he always writes about the spiritual journey. Oh, okay. And, you know, finding the mystic on the path. And yeah. that nobody else saw. Well, this is... <laughs> but you seem to get all of these people coming right into your path at the right time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, even like when I look back on my life, like moments that unfolded, like when I met Hunter, you know, led me to this guy, led me to buy my first screamer, you know, everything just kind of falls into place and you can see the series of events mm -hmm. and I can trace it back to that person. It's like, okay, if I wouldn't have met him, these things wouldn't have happened and led to this bigger thing happening. So it's really interesting. So, and the reason I bring that up, Andrew, is because some people would say that all that stuff is a fluke. And, and all of that stuff is, um, I don't know, um, just coincidence. Uh, some other people would say it's serendipity. Some people would say you're, you, you're following your intuition. Mm. Um, there's such a wide spectrum of vocabulary around mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. And the constant thing I'm hearing as you are, you, are, you know, um, I'll say sharing your story of your life is that I consistently hear in you acceptance of where you are at each moment mm -hmm. and that's a thing that most people that mm. i've met don't ever get mm. is any level of acceptance so to me i love listening to your story because just even just for that one quality in who you are as a man okay we'll have to talk about acceptance later because that's something that i think i've just re come to realizing this year in my life and how important that is. But we can talk about that. Will, will you come back? Yeah, I would okay. love to. So I'll go back to meeting Paval in the bush. There's kind of a funny story. You meant story. Jesus in the bush. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here, sorry, I think that was Moses. I got my stories mixed. <laughs> Big time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Go on. Sorry, Andrew. Well, and it's funny you mentioned that too, about the, the coincidence and serendipity, because I walked up that path probably 60 times after that. And only once did I bump into someone else on the trail. Hmm. So, you know, it's That's not something cool. that a lot of people do. 
and I met to that person like at the same point and you stop to like get your gear back on because you're sweating by the time you get up there even if it's minus 10 like your shirt's off you're sweating um so we're getting geared up and then going right and I mean out of like like I said 50 or 60 times that I went back only to bump into one other person you know to have a guide that day was pretty impressive these guys were exceptional guides the one guy was a filmmaker and filmed ski movies and the old man and this is like what he had done his whole life and yeah. very you know uh kind of rugged old man and tough guy and to put into perspective he was on skis paval had a snowboard on his back and paval was just this joyous guy that just you know thought everything was too funny and like knew that this old man that he was with was just this character and so him and i paval had kind of taken off up ahead I was kind of following the old man, which was lucky because uh, the path is actually an, a biking trail that goes from that point of the lift down to the bottom. So they have all these mountain biking trails and in mountain biking trails, they have these things called ladders, which are just wooden boards mm -hmm. that the bikes go across that are only maybe two feet wide. So when the snow piles up on the ladders, it, it's kind of rounded and... Uh, you know, this had maybe two feet of snow on top of it that was all packed down and then rounded edges. And he was trying to ski across. And as he was trying to ski across, he lost his footing, tripped and fell. And I watched this old man fall four feet from this platform down into this river below. And on the way down, he caught his nose on the wood of the ladder. And I'm not joking when I say he like popped his nose open and it was kind of hanging down. And he was bleeding everywhere. So I'm like, you are like, I help him out of this river and he's like all wet. And, you know, I'm like, you stay here. I'm going to run up and get Paval. We're going to come back, take care of you, get you stitched up, whatever you need. I'll never forget it. Like I rush up to see Paval and Paval starts laughing. This is how Paval reacts. I'm like, what's so funny? Like your friend's really hurt. We got to go help him. He's like, no, no, this is so funny. And he pulls out like you know, like a, a camera phone or a cell phone. He's like, no, I need you to tell me what's happening right now. And he starts filming me. And I tell him the story. And he's like, okay. And he can't help himself. He's just laughing so hard. He's like, okay, we're going to go and help him out. And like, he can't stop just laughing the whole way down. We don't get around the corner and this old man's skiing up the trail again. And I'm like, yo, are you okay? And he's got blood all over his jacket. He's like, I'm fine. I'm like, are you sure, man? Like, your nose is hanging off your face. He's like, I came this far. We're going skiing today. That's all he says. And Paval's like, yep, we're going skiing. And he, like, leans to me. He's like, this is the kind of guy he is. And I'm like, okay. So, sure enough, like, we, we continue up the mountain. We get to a point, and we kind of hide in the bush, get our gear back on. He's like, okay, nobody's around. Let's, let's cut down to the lift and make it look like we're skiing in. We cut down to the lift, and sure enough, they let us on. Up the mountain we go. So that, that was about a two-hour journey for me to get to the t you know, where I needed to be. We ended up riding all day. We stopped at the top, and I'll never forget them, just packing napkins from, like, the Whistler, like, dispensers in the, the restaurant underneath his goggles to keep his nose together. And he kind of, like, taped it up and did his thing. And, yeah, he ended up needing, I think, 15 stitches later that day. But he was determined to ski. And we had a pretty good day of skiing. And Paval gave me his number, and we ended up linking up one other time to to go riding together and we stayed in touch thereafter but haven't talked to him for a few years but very interesting to have met him that day mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. um so i'm not working i don't have a job 
and you can't hike up the mountain every single day because you get pretty exhausted yeah i luckily figured out shortcuts and uh, the first day was two hours the next day was hour and a half an hour by the end of it i was down to like an hour um, unless it was really snowy then it might be two and a half hours again but uh, i would go for two days and then i would have to take a day off just to kind of recoup and let my body relax and i had a great routine at that time there's this time where I'm like, oh, I've got time on my hands. I've never had time on my hands. This is like forced vacation for me. I can't work. First time in my life that, you know, work isn't even an option, which yeah. thank God, because I probably would have just kept working and working and working. That's neat. Was an in important my lesson yeah. right there. Big time. And that was like, for me, that was like my whole escape moment, mm. you know, and I went out to Whistler. I'm like, I'm escaping this this desire to fall into this routine where, you know, work is everything. And I realized that's not what's the most important thing in life. You know, spending time with my friends and spending time snowboarding because those years that I was screen printing and doing llama, I might get out a few times a week or sorry, a few times a month where I used to get out almost every day of the week. Um, and then I, you know, rediscovered photography, which was an interest of mine. I rediscovered yoga um, and I ended up having this great routine where like, I wake up in the morning, do yoga, go and hike up the mountain, snowboard for the day, hike back, do yoga again. And then the only good thing about the place I was living in was a closet sized sauna. And I would just sauna. And my f best friend Burton can tell you at that time in our lives, we would do the sauna challenge like how long Jeez. can you go like how far can you push it after after hikes yeah after snowboarding yeah okay. i drink a bunch of water and then i would steam myself like and i'd stand over top of the steam in the sauna until i just couldn't take it anymore and then hop in the shower and by the time this was like all said and done i'd just be pooched i'd make some food and then i you know i was teaching myself that night those nights like photoshop mm -hmm. i found a book in the whistler library you could stay awake barely okay. but you know I, I couldn't handle my my one roommate so i moved in with this guy slept on a futon um <laughs> in this one bedroom condo and i was paying 600 dollars a month to sleep on a futon yeah. in their living room no privacy and uh at first we got along great but then i think um his girlfriend and i became friendly with each other like just friendly just like I was friendly with him, but I think he got jealous of that. And I think he got uh, worried that I was going to steal his girl, which was not even in my you know mind. Well, you can't anyway. Yeah, I wouldn't. Not that kind of guy. Um, but he became uh, jealous. And then it just You're became very awkward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. So I just remember coming home one night and like all my, my, my snowboard bag with all my clothing was like tucked away in the corner. And I guess he, uh, he must have thrown a plate of food or something at the window that was behind all my stuff. And I had to like clean food off of my, my gear. Oh. And like they were kind of upset and it was kind of clear. So it just, I could tell there was some weird tension. So once the tension started rising, I was like, Ugh, I don't feel really welcome here. So I would put my headphones on and I would design in the corner and just kind of stay out of things and like just give them their space as much as I could. But I found sanctuary in the Whistler library, which every, every day off I would take the bus into the village and go to the library. And it was funny. I, one of my best friends to this day 
remembers a time where he was walking through the village and I'm outside taking photos with this nice camera that I have of books. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm taking photos of these books. He's like, why are you shooting photos of the books, man? Like, just take them out. I'm like, no, no, I'll take them out. But like, there's good stuff in here that I want to remember for later. Like, I'm just going to snap them. And some of these images might make like, you know, cool inspirations for t-shirts later. And I have this huge huh. collage. And luckily for me, um, I ended up reading some really good books about uh, business at that time. And I, I discovered this interest for business. And up to that point, I, I didn't want anything to do with business. No interest. <clears throat> but this book called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss just sparked my interest. And I, it just spoke to me because he was talking about, you know, making time. And the whole idea is just, you know, creating your ideal lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so it's a book about business but it's more about lifestyle design. And I love that idea. I think that's very obvious. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so, you know, business is cool, but designing my life and getting to do all the things I want to do is, is cooler. So, you know, that really hooked me in and I, you know, I was lucky to find it at that time because it really shaped the direction I wanted to go. So all these days in the library, I knew that, you know, a new brand was something I wanted to do the book, you know, really encourages you to pursue your passion. So I really looked at what am I really interested in? And, you know, art and music and snowboarding, all these elements kind of come together. Like passion was a big part of that. But I think for me, discovering my own escape was this like epiphany moment in my life. And I realized that, you know, I wanted the brand to represent that. And I hope that, you know, like when you take the time to do what you're passionate about, you get that escape from everything else that's weighing you down in life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as I had this idea and I started thinking about things and visualizing this new brand, um, I knew pretty quickly that uh, one of the things that I would be doing with my business as a practice that I had from Llama was handing out stickers to everybody. And I just thought, if I'm going to be handing somebody something that's our logo, what do I want to be handing to people? And I just remember this idea of handing everybody a white feather and just this idea of like birds representing freedom and they leave feathers behind everywhere they go. It was just a way to kind of trace where the brand, you know, and like kind of the impact the brand has had on people and where they take it and where it goes. And that's just kind of like the memory of where it all gets left behind. And uh, I thought that was a pretty cool, pretty cool thing. And I'm like, you know, hopefully people will see the feather and that'll be a reminder to them to do the things they love to do in their life Mm -hmm. uh, when they see it. And maybe they'll take it with them and put them in, you know, important places on their own journey. That'll be like a reminder, like, oh, you know, that was a moment in my life that I got to escape and it shaped a new direction for me. So with that thought um, and having done some research, I discovered that there were other brands called Escape. Um, so I'm like, oh, maybe I can't call it escape, but I realized, you know, we were creating a movement and I was like, well, if I put it together like that, the escape movement kind of works. And that was it. That's what came to mind. I knew the logo was going to be a feather. It took me another year to get the feather designed the way I liked, but, uh, the idea was there. Okay. Can I interrupt? Yeah. Thanks. I, uh, I'm sorry. It's my excitement. I okay. lose the English language. <laughs> um, if, 
I know you were talking about what you hear about acceptance all along the story. Mm-hmm. And for sure, that's a part of it. But so much of what I'm hearing is uh, you, I won't say enjoying the process, but being in the process mm-hmm. and not rushing it. Because I think so many people, especially these days uh, with, with the new generation, want instant fame, instant mm-hmm. success, instant mm-hmm. everything. Um, and to hear you talk about, you know, when you're talking about Lama and, and the idea before that was six and a half years before the business came into being and then uh, so on and so forth with the escape movement, you don't rush things. Mm. You're talking about designing a logo where you, you already had the name and the idea for the brand, but then waiting till you got it just right. Mm-hmm. Um, because that was your mark that you were going to leave, whatever it was, if you see it as on the world or on each person that you interact with. Um, yeah, I process is such a big thing for me. So mm-hmm. I hope people, people hear that. Yeah. And just knowing when the time is right, mm-hmm. you know, um, I have a lot of people that even now they, they ask me like, Oh, why aren't you trying to get into stores and why aren't you trying to, you know, do certain things with the brand? And because, you know, in my mind, I'm like, the brand isn't where I want it to be yet. You know, like I still envision and it's there, it's getting there. Like I know I'm a few months away from that now, but I had to refine our manufacturing practice. I had to get to a point where I was comfortable designing and manufacturing the clothing and not making mistakes that I was making in the beginning um, to be very confident with the product that we were putting out. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're getting there where we are there. Yeah. We've kind of refined that, but it took its mistakes and it cost, you know, money to yeah. figure those hurdles out. But yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. You're going to continue to make mistakes, but mm-hmm. you just can't let them stop you and hold you back. Mm-hmm. Um, before, um, about a week ago, before I left for vacation, I think I was telling you, I was mm-hmm. going to speak to a group of, um, young students at Yes Employment. So these kids are kind of um, maybe in their first job, getting placement, feel for work and whatnot, um, hopefully trying to figure out their passion as well. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think you have one of the students from that program. Yeah, I do. In your, yeah, okay. Um, and I just remembered standing there and they had asked us to talk about non-traditional ways of, of education because mm-hmm. not all of them will be looking for college and university. And I had actually given them your name. Um, so to hear you talk about all of your struggles, I think to me is so important because... I think about that, you know, grade five that you, you know, what are you, 11 or 12 years old at that age? Mm-hmm. Um, talking about feeling depressed and not connecting with your peers mm-hmm. um, and in some way not connecting with the education system either. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how in God's name you survived that many years to graduate with the way that your brain works, mm-hmm. the way that you see the world. You, you keep talking about the things that you've collected along your process and along your journey to, to bring everything into being now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like it's been coming for, for decades. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I, you know, I, I feel like we'll have to talk about being in the now Yeah, and we'll have to talk about, um, acceptance, acceptance, <laughs> I think a little bit later, but those are, yeah, I think lessons that I've learned cool. that, um, make me very comfortable with where I am now, mm-hmm. you know, and I think they're, they're, I think the two most important things I think I've learned on this journey. Now, it's not about, you know, what you're creating. It's, you know, I, I think it's finding that peace in your life. 
and uh, you know, there's times where things are very difficult and you don't know, you know, where you're going to be in a few months, in a few days and how you're going to get there. And uh, that was taking a toll on my health at some points last fall specifically. Mm -hmm. And I've had some stomach issues and a few things. And, uh, you know, last fall I was under a lot of stress and I knew it wasn't good. I've always been under stress. Like my family and close friends will be like, oh, you get really stressed out. And when that started affecting my health this year, I'm like, I have to, I have to change this. And I knew I had to. Um, and so I started making some significant changes in my life. I started spending, you know, money on, uh, taking care of my health and doing things like, you know, I wouldn't have done in the past, but they've all been the best investments I've ever made. So I think a lot of people put that off and shouldn't. Um, and I found that, you know, taking care of your body is the quickest way to take care of your mind. And I've found, you know, for me, um, and I've been trying to live a stress-free year, I've found the best thing you can do is accept what's happening as soon as it's happening. So uh, if I get an order in and they screwed up the order, instead of reacting and, you know, overreacting to the situation, just accepting that a mistake was made and then move on to the next step. Okay. How are we going to deal with this mistake? Mm-hmm. How are we going to overcome this problem now that it exists instead of spending 20 minutes pulling your hair out and, you know, getting all worked up about it, which I think a lot of people react to right away when something like that happens, when something goes wrong or, you know, you've invested thousands of dollars into something and that investment comes back, not as you had planned. It's, accepting it and realizing okay how can we overcome this situation mm-hmm. accepting where you're at um, in life too you know maybe you expected to be somewhere different maybe you expected to be at a certain point you know in life by a certain age people set these goals and these targets and they don't achieve them and it'll eat them up and they'll spend a lot of time getting depressed and down about it mm-hmm. when there's no need for it if you just accept like okay that didn't happen this is where i am it's you can quickly find happiness in the moment again and you can overcome it and move past it so the quicker you can you know accept where you are i think the uh the easier it is for yourself to get past the stress and the struggle you're talking about tools yeah Mm -hmm. to to um make the most out of every situation which is something that schools yeah can sometimes provide and Mm. sometimes totally miss out on yeah i I think that's you know a quality that's overlooked i mean i I feel like they don't teach like conversational skills in school you know and teach people how to interact with one another and i think in business that's a very very important quality to have and i see a lot of young kids come into my store now and their communication skills are lacking and you can see it i think you know there's so much social communication happening digital communication happening that physical interactions and real communication is a struggle it's difficult so um i think it would be nice to see that brought into the school system somehow i also think a lot of what you're talking about is is self-awareness first and foremost because Mm. you yeah acceptance is a huge thing but you're also very aware um, and that's also not something that's taught in the school. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think it ties into what we were both just discussing. Yeah. 
um, on, on how to interact and how to develop those tools. Well, you're making a conscious choice not mm -hmm. to feel anger. Yeah. Um, but to be able to recognize that you could, yep. that you have a choice not to, yep. first of all, and that it, where you're going to put your energy. Mm -hmm. So you're making the conscious choice of, I've got so much energy to deal with here. And your health issues pushed you to realize something like that. Yeah. So that you could say, if this is the energy I have and it's going to affect my body, then my response is directly relate, uh, proportional to the mm -hmm. choice that I make. Mm -hmm. um, and if I make a healthy choice and learn some tools in that way, then your body benefits from it. Mm -hmm. So does your business and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's like, uh, when you're talking, I'm watching you take dominoes mm -hmm. and like knock one down after the other. Yeah. So it's either in an unhealthy way that you knock them down or in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did you want, did you have questions? Oh yeah. But if I don't ask them in the second, I forget. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's just it's okay. the way my, my head goes. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm enjoying listening to your stories yeah. so much. But one of the things about when I listen to it, Andrew, is I keep seeing you as the little boy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I keep seeing you as this ch the child. Okay. The way like back before grade five, okay. uh, you keep bringing me back to this little boy. Okay. Who somehow is still sitting here in this chair with the same type of, I'll say some excitement where you see the world out of different eyes than everybody around you. And there's something about you where you have your little magic cape on, where you're still going to become a man and still wear your cape. That's so funny. Well, okay. <laughs> I love that because uh, I think that's a really powerful, powerful image. And Is that good? I want to throw out the word essence oh, because to yeah. me, when we see the grown man or the grown woman and we can still see that, that inner child, mm -hmm. it's still, it's carrying that essence through the years, mm -hmm. right? Which I, I will say you have obviously carried into your brand because there are so many startup businesses that don't fly because there isn't a consistency between the brand or the lifestyle they're trying to create through mm -hmm. the store or the product itself mm -hmm. and how you live, but also how you treat your employer or your employees. And I, and I have heard from your employees um, how exceptional you are. Um, so I just, I love watching the, the little kid who sits here with the excitement and how you see the world when you're talking about perspective mm -hmm. uh, and how you keep jumping back and forth of, how do I carry that essence and put it into the now for myself and for others? Mm -hmm. Because really what you have done with your, with your business is give that to others. You you've extended yourself. Um, that feather is an extension to, mm -hmm. to everyone that passes through or sees it on this, you know, a building around the city. Lord knows they're on every Tim Hortons post. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Like to me, it's something where you've created a wave of energy mm -hmm. Um, that, yeah, that's, that's the movement. Oh, okay, good. Thank you so we're talking right? the same language. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so it's, you've got, and it's with the, with that integrity that you bring to it because of your intention has stayed strong and that you're, to me, it's like you're holding a bar for people and you're saying jump. <laughs> and mm -hmm. the, the, this is what you could create. This is the bar you could create. Are you willing to jump? And it's kind of like, if you are, this could be fun. This could be exciting. It's going to be hard. It's going to be scary. Um, you're going to have to find courage. You're going to have to do some things differently here. But to me, that feather is that bar that mm -hmm. you're saying, so do you want to wake up? 
it's funny because uh, as you're saying this, um, I've given a speech a couple of times, and I always give an example of standing on the edge of a cliff. <clears throat> and, you know, like cliff jumping with friends, and you've always got the one friend that's eager and jumps off right away. And, you know, it just dives right in, no fear. And then you have that one friend that pitters back and forth on the edge of the cliff and contemplates it and thinks about every scenario and uh, may never take the jump. Even though everybody's done it, had fun, knows it's safe, isn't a problem. This friend thinks something bad's going to happen in the split second they're in the air. Um, and sometimes it just takes that encouragement, you know, and I hope that the brand is kind of that encouragement, you know, because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are standing on the edge of cliff metaphorically in life with a mm -hmm. lot of decisions they want to make. <clears throat> and I feel as though if, you know, the brand can be that like, and it has, I've heard stories where friends of mine have taken the leap to do things that they might not otherwise have. Um, then, you know, I feel like that's the strongest outcome that could possibly happen from the movement, you know? I think what your clothing does is, or your brand, mm -hmm. pardon me, because it's more than clothing. Um, I think you've, man you've managed to make a cape mm -hmm. so that people can take the cape. Reminds me of the kids when I ran a daycare. I had 10 little kids, mm. seven boys, all under four years old. And they used to put their capes on, literally. Yeah. And we'd walk across Strout Lake Road to the grocery store and all through the grocery store. And there's seven little boys with their capes on. And all the everybody in the grocery store, they just loved watching us come when we'd buy our groceries. Yeah. Because they all had their capes on. They were so proud to walk through the grocery store. No silliness here. Yeah. They were serious about this shit. <laughs> but as adults, if we talk this kind of a talk... We tend to feel like we're being silly, like we're being those four-year-olds. Yeah. And I think what you've done, if you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Andrew, that you've given people an adult cape <laughs> to say that I'm. this is my superhero status. Okay. I've got my t-shirt on, I'm on my paddleboard, and I'm paddling. Yes. I have my cape. Let me Let me paddle. But you've done it just in different ways where maybe they get to wear it to work. Maybe they get to wear it mm -hmm. to bed. Maybe they get to wear it on a date, mm -hmm. um, which that'd be cool, mm. you know. But to me, that's kind of like where I see it. Cool. Before I ever met you or knew what your escape movement was like, when I just went into your store and just bought the shirt, not knowing anything, that's the, that's the feeling I got. Like I was belonging to the secret group. That there was a secret, yeah. do you like my story? Yeah, no, I, I, that you have yeah. a secret group going on. And I really want to be part of that secret group. So, yes, it looks like a feather. Nobody knows underneath, though, that I'm actually wearing a cape. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's kind of funny, the secret group. It, it makes me think that, like, you know, I hope that people kind of think, like, oh, you know, these people get it, you know? Yeah. They're not stuck in the 9 to 5 grind. Yes. I want to be a part of that group, you know? I want to, yeah. I want to be living my life the way I want and not stuck in these like, you know, structured societal rules that tell me that I have to do this and be this to, you know, be successful or, you know, be mm -hmm. the person I need to be. And it's, you know, write your own rules, do what oh, you want. And I think you've, you've publicly called people to do that as well. Cause I've seen, I've followed your contests. Um, 
or the promotional stuff that you do on, on Facebook and whatnot, where you're asking people to post what their escape is. Yeah, yeah. And so you're really asking them to actually identify their cape, take a picture of it, mm-hmm. much like you took pictures of books, uh, and, and put it out there to say, you know, what is your what is your escape? That's I think, the question that you posed. Um, and it not only brings people together, which I think you've worked hard to do, mm-hmm. um, but I think it brings people closer to themselves. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's identifying that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think uh, when I was coming up with the escape movement, I was maybe four or five years out of high school at that point. And I remember seeing a lot of my friends that were really passionate about snowboarding, selling their equipment and no longer snowboarding. Mm-hmm. Friends that were really into art, no longer painting. Friends that were, you know, great hockey players that got a lot of joy out of hockey no longer playing hockey and it was just this thing that i'm like why are why is everybody letting this go they used to love this so much and you know you'd have these conversations with them and it's like oh i'm busy i'm doing work and you know got a girlfriend and you know all these other things in life take precedent and i was like do you still want to snowboard oh i'd love to snowboard if i had the chance but you know and like all these excuses would come up now and it was just kind of like you know why not take charge of your life and make time for this stuff you know like make that Mm -hmm. the important thing in life again because i feel like it would bring a lot of joy um because a lot of the friends that i speak of i'd see the lack of joy and excitement in them you know it was just this mundane this blah sort of lifestyle that they were living and they weren't happy they weren't the same person that i went to high school with Mm -hmm. and just realizing that i was like you know like you almost want to wake them up you almost want to, you know, shake that, it out wait, of them. Andrew, that was the question I asked you. Yeah. Was it your intention, was to, it your intention to do that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, maybe, you know, having this conversation, I can convey this a little bit better than, uh, let's say, okay. yeah. Yeah. And then if I, you know, uh, yeah, sorry. I want to ask a question. Sure. Sorry. Um, cause, cause you asked it, was it your intention to wake people up? And you're talking about looking at um, the lack of joy in people's faces or, or mm-hmm. eyes. Mm-hmm. Was it ever a fear for yourself or was it always about waking someone else up? Because we've, sorry, why don't you answer that question first? Sure. <laughs> um, you know, the funny thing is I've always sort of had this feeling that it's not about me. I've never felt like the brand is mine and it's ownership sort of thing. Um, I've always felt sort of this feeling that um, I'm doing this to, to for, for other people, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's about trying to bring that out of people. And I think that's when things get tough and things are more difficult. It's not like, you know, don't give up because like, you know, it's important to, to keep this going for others. Yeah. It's neat because when, when we were first talked about having you on the show and, and where we wanted to take it, you had mentioned that particular question about who was it about mm-hmm. um, because it's it takes a huge amount of compassion uh, and empathy to, to put yourself where you have okay. in that position. And then to at the same time remember that you had to learn the lesson that in doing that, you still had to take care of yourself Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because this is where a lot of people will go to work 
or and stay in different different yeah. situations trapped trapped but to say that they're doing it for the kids or that they're doing it for someone else where part of what we both do for a living and why we do what we do is to be able to wake people up as well yeah in being able to find purpose but purpose isn't just to make a paycheck it, it's to discover who you are mm -hmm. And to be that consistently, and that if you're falling asleep because you're fatigued because you can't, that you have to wake and shake yourself out of that. Mm -hmm. Because if you are living the life where you're asleep and you're just putting in those hours, those days, do you really think that the person you're sleeping with is in love with you? Because how can they be if you're sleeping through it? Mm -hmm. So you're talking... What I'm getting from what you're talking about is that you're inviting to people. It's an, it's an invitation. And that the way you've chosen to do it is basically to say, it's out here. Here's the feather. Here it is. It's like you're literally walking around with that light mm -hmm. on people's shirts, shining in other people's faces saying, are, are you getting this? It, it, this is supposed to wake you up. Hello, anybody out there? Yeah. And then people get to choose and say, yes, today. Thank you, Andrew Morrison. <laughs> and uh, no, not today. And have to look away mm -hmm. so that they can stay there a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, you know, cook them a little longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Until they're, you know, ready to hatch or whatever, however yeah. you want to word that. But that you've presented some those people with something visual. Yeah. And and that was really important to me in creating this conversation with you today when I said to you, we use all six senses with our gifts. Mm -hmm. What do you use? So this is where one of the one of the questions was, I'm hearing from you that you see things, that you feel things, mm -hmm. that you have an inner knowing, because you were talking about meeting um I called it Moses. <laughs> oh Paval. Uh, <laughs> But that you have your inner knowing that you use your own gifts. And yet, here you are, Andrew Morrison, using intuitive gifts, and you're a man. <laughs> and a very attractive one, and a very <laughs> successful one, and a very manly one. And that that is still all very beautiful, and full of integrity, and full of strength, and full of power. Well done. Thank you. Um, all of the qualities that you just listed in a man are not necessarily valued in the, in the mm -hmm. Western world. Mm -hmm. And hopefully you heard it and that sinks in for you mm -hmm. uh, and that, you know, people value that and, and are hoping for more of that. And that's why at the very beginning of the show, when um, I said above, above uh, your local celebrity is, is the genuine gentleman because you can't have a successful brand without uh, living that, authenticity well thank you mm -hmm. thank you i have a question okay <laughs> um what do you fear uh i would say i used to feel uh, fear failure uh and then i've experienced some really big failures and realized it's you know it's not the end of the world mm. You know, things don't change. So, and it's all in how you look at it. So, failing can be the best lesson. So, try not to fear that. Uh, can I ask a follow-up question? Sure. Okay. Because <laughs> um, 
failure is a, a very broad, broad thing. So if yeah. you're, if you're looking at each thing as a lesson, mm-hmm. after you started kind of catching that pattern, I'll say, how did you start weighing your risks? Because you still take tremendous risk every day. Um, Tim Ferriss mentions like, you know, assessing risk in his book. I've read another book that kind of does the same and it just kind of just puts it into perspective. And if you look at, you know, the potential reward of taking a risk versus what you have to lose, um, a lot of times you'll find that, you know, you still have your bed to sleep in at night and you still have the roof over your head. Um, you know, you still have all the amenities in life. I look at that for me, it's like, I, I have nothing to lose really, because I know if I have a minimum wage job, the lifestyle I'm living might actually, I might actually have more money in my bank account at some points, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't have anything to lose and I've never held on to personal possessions or material items, um, with any sort of, uh, um, like emotional connection to them. So when I lose, you know, possessions like that, or I lose something like that, it's, it's not important to me. Important thing for me has always been just spending quality time with, with people. And, That's huge. Yeah. In a society where the bigger the house, yeah. the more boats, the sea dews and the cottages and mm-hmm. the, all the vacations, mm-hmm. um, that is more where the average person is putting all of their goals than in the quality of their relationships or their emotional state of how they feel about something. So that's dead mm-hmm. and they get to focus on the other stuff. So to hear that you're living your life like that, what's that? I love you. Oh, so to hear that they're like, that you're living a life like that mm-hmm. is like, well, there is your cape. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, I'll mention this just because you talked about, you know, the house and the cars and the boat. Um, in 2013, when we decided, when I decided to open up a store in Toronto, you know, there was a point where I could have bought the car I wanted, a boat, um, put a down payment on a house. And instead I decided to pursue a different dream. And that was to try a store in Toronto. And six months later, it did not work out. You know, life was a totally different reality in six months. And so, you know, coming to terms with that and learning to accept that um, was a very important lesson. And then realizing, like, would have those items made me any happier? Would they have changed my life? You know, and I look back at that time and I would have ended up, you know, maybe in a house that I wasn't happy with and, you know, living a lifestyle that I wasn't happy with just all because, you know, those are, you know, what you're kind of expected to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's big. That's so big for so many people that will hear this because mm-hmm. those things that you say are not the biggest priorities are their biggest priorities. Mm-hmm. So like what planet are you on? Mm-hmm. And yet you're on the same one. Well, okay. For example, I'll, I'll give a, you know, for a while, you know, you guys will fantasize about having a nice car. And uh, I was never a car guy. I you said that like it was shocking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't, yeah, it's yeah. it's common, I'd say. And 
um, you know, for a while I found myself looking at auto trader and, you know, mm-hmm. you read things like the secret and they're like, imagine yourself behind the wheel of the car you want to drive and these sort of things. So I'm like, okay, you know, let's, let's imagine these things. So, um, two, two circumstances that kind of came about when I was young, I used to dream about driving a Mustang convertible. I used to watch people win them on the prices, right? And I thought that was the <laughs> coolest thing ever. And uh, in 2012, I went to LA for five days. I'm like, I'm renting a car. It was only an extra like five or eight bucks a day to rent a convertible. I'm like, this makes sense. An extra 40 bucks. I get to drive the car of my dreams for five days. And I got behind the wheel and was really underwhelmed. My forehead <laughs> hit the hit the top part of the, I guess, the, the windshield. Mm-hmm. And I had to like recline my seat in order to drive this thing properly and it was just kind of kind of funny and awkward and it didn't have this get up and go amazing feeling that I was hoping it would have and uh so I was like oh wow I'm really you know like I'm really glad I didn't go and buy one of these things I mean it's (laughs) fun I wonder how many people feel that way after a few years of marriage okay or or in the 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 dream the uh pardon me the job of their dreams right where they're underwhelmed yeah I think it happens a lot I mean (laughs) And it was funny because, you know, that happened within the first few minutes. And then I was like, oh, no, I'm going to live it up with the top down and drive around L.A. and do things. And, and, you know, I enjoyed that. That was cool. But, you know, it's like, okay, I've done it. There we go. Mm-hmm. And for 250 bucks, I got the experience that I'd wanted from my childhood. And I was very satisfied with mm-hmm. that. And I realized, like, if I want to rent a convertible again, that option's there for a very affordable amount of money. And That's cool. I haven't had the urge. I haven't done it since, you know, um, it's been there, done that, but I still had this fantasy for a little while during the time we we're opening up a store of driving a BMW, you know, oh, that's gotta be a fun car. It's nice. You know, my, you know, my lawyer drives a BMW and looks like a nice car. I bet you that's a lot of fun. And last year at our beach party, my friend had just purchased one and He's like, yeah, if you want to take it for a spin tomorrow, come on, we'll, you know, get you out. It'll be great. And he was ready to give me the keys to his BMW. I'd never, I drove stick once, but that's another story and a funny one. And he's like, we'll teach you. It'll be great. So we went to a parking lot and he started teaching me how to drive stick and wasn't the greatest, but we took it out on the road and I'm driving. And within the first block, I had this guy pull up behind me in a big truck and he was just an asshole to me because I was driving a Beamer and I was learning how to drive stick and I was on a hill and I didn't want to roll back and hit this guy in his big truck. So he drove by and gave me the finger and he was just like a big asshole. I'm like, wow, this is like, this is what people get when they're driving one of these cars. And, and again, being behind the wheel of the car, like it had nice luxury features, but it felt just like any other car. You know, once you get behind it and you're in that seat and you're looking out and you have the same perspective, and, you know, I think back to my Mazda 323 that I climbed in and out of the window to get in and out of, you know, that car to me was still one of the funnest cars I've ever drove. Mm-hmm. The most fun cars I've ever driven. And uh, I remember at the end when we knew we were going to scrap the car, we turned the roof into a trampoline and we turned the side of the car into a canvas and scratched things into it and painted it. And mm. the car just became the most fun you could possibly have. And when mm. the window was leaking and like, you know, stuff was getting inside, it just became this joke. And it was a lot of fun. And that car was, you know, worthless at that point. 
but I still look at that car as being like the most fun I've ever had in a car and the best times I've ever had in a vehicle because I didn't care about it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It served a purpose. Yeah. Okay. Many. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, right. that's cool. I have a question. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it's coming from and we may have to delete it. Okay. <laughs> Just so you know. Okay. Do you have a scar? Uh, I have a few. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I can't see any. No. But I'm, and and so, <laughs> is there a story behind one of your scars? Um, or is there a reason that's coming up or no? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. We'll pass. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Uh, funny, funny thing is, okay, I have scars on the back of my hand. And, uh... When I f- opened my first store in the mall, um, I got these scars when I was doing the renovations. And they're just small scars. They don't look like very much, but they've stayed. And, like, normally I cut up my hands all the time and the scars don't stay, but those ones did. And it's funny because when I look at those, there's two marks. It's kind of like, it almost looks like an entry and an exit uh, from the marks. But, uh, yeah, they just remind me of, you know, like two weeks that I made that store and I, I didn't, I didn't have any experience or background in like home renovations or painting. Just hanging fabric. Yeah. Yeah. Just hanging fabric was my previous. And you know, we laid floor <clears throat> for the first time. So it was a really cool life lessons. And you know, I'd fantasize how spaces would look. So creating a store space was a really exciting thing. It's still one of my favorite things to do. We've hopped around and had different stores. Now I've opened five, um, different stores, llama, fabric store mm-hmm. carpet made of shade <laughs> grass, grass mm-hmm. being one of them but uh you know so four of them where i've gotten to like renovate and create a space and an environment and i really enjoy that process so yeah opening the store kind of independently the last day i had friends in to help me put in the floor and a funny story there is uh like we we filmed it and did this time lapse and we have a time lapse of all of us putting in the floor yeah. and it was this click flooring and oh, God. we thought we had it in right we did not have it in right. And then uh, the next day, so we had to get the store open on Sunday. So that was Friday. Friday night, floor's not in. If your floor's not in, Andrew, you definitely need insurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is true. And so the next day, my dad comes in and he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'll get your floor in. So we, we do the whole floor again, only to discover we didn't do it right. So we had to take it all apart. And luckily, my brother-in-law... Um, had the tools you need this like tool to like hammer the floor together and click it in and we didn't have that tool and he showed us how to do it and he came by so for the third time we put in the floor and we got it done and i remember it was like midnight i'm like okay the floor is in that was our last project now i can assemble my racks now i can hang my clothing the next day we had a party at the wall again like we always do and I was up until like two or three in the morning hanging the product and like putting the finishing touches on the store and building an Ikea table for the desk. And Did that take you hours? <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> far too long. Uh, but, it, you know, it came together. And I just remember I had this song on by this band called Temper Trap. I can't remember the name of the song, but I remember putting it on. And to this day, I get chills when I put it on because I remember opening up the door Because when you're in the mall, you have to like work and like everything's behind, you know, this papered off thing. And I hadn't stood back and looked at the store and I opened it all up at, you know, three in the morning, no one's around. 
and I kind of walk out of the store about 10 feet and my sign was up and everything and I turned back and I looked and this song was playing mm -hmm. and I just you know I'll never forget that feeling like just this crazy sensation that you just can't explain yeah. and it was like whoa it was a really powerful moment and kind of like went back very happy and like shut the door and knew everything was good like mission accomplished mm -hmm. but looking at like the two weeks of renovating that store and painting and getting the product ready and doing this pretty well independently with the help of some really close friends you know i still don't know how i did it and when we opened up the store like i was talking to my friend about this now like i'm really busy with projects and a lot of things now but when we opened that week things kind of picked up suddenly and you know all of a sudden it's like oh wow i gotta fulfill all these like customer requests and you know, I got to make this product to keep the store going. So I was making product. It would come in and in the evenings, uh, you know, I'd have to take care of like putting the finishing touches on the garments uh, and then like putting the hang tags on and getting them all going. And I was making 300 stickers a night, every night. And like some days I would go in and work. For the first two weeks, I worked 12 hours a day in the store. Um, I would go home and I'd work another three or four hours at home preparing the product and the stickers for the next day. Mm -hmm don't know how I did it. Luckily for me, one of my good friends uh, that I grew up with at my cottage, she came into the store and she was like, you need an employee. You can't do this all on your own. She's like, I will work for you. And she like forced herself on me. And I don't think if she would have done that. I would have hired anyone. Hmm. And so I hired her to come in the mornings and that was just my time. And I remember just like waking up in the morning and doing yoga and just kind of, you know, spending a little bit of time just like calming down and, you know, relaxing. And then it was like, you know, you do the savasana at the end, everything's mellow and peaceful. And that gave me like the clarity to kind of just be like, okay, like any stress that I was feeling, that was good. I was able to go through with what I needed to for the day and, you know, just carry on. And everything was very exciting. And once I got onto that routine, I remember there's a point two weeks into it before I hired her where I was a zombie and my friends knew it. They were bringing me coffees. Like, it was just, I don't know how. I don't know how I was doing it. It was probably one of the times of my life where, like, just everything was, you know, all my energy was going elsewhere. So, but it was there. It was coming from somewhere. And you will like this. I know you're going to like this part. Because you were talking about creativity and where it comes from. Even during all of this and where all the exhaustion's coming from, I have this don't happen all the time, but that was a time in my life where I I feel like I was particularly inspired. Um, and I try to tap into this now and I can't the way I did back then. Um, but I'd wake up at four in the morning almost religiously every single night. And I'd wake up and I, I have a habit of keeping a sketchbook beside my bed. And when I wake up, it's not just you know, one idea, it's a complete idea. And I don't know what the idea is going to be. And I just get in the habit of writing them all down. And it could be anything from like a new collection, a new design, and you know, or a story or a movie script or something just outrageous. And it comes to me complete and full. And I've learned that if I don't write it down by morning, I can't even remember what I was thinking about at four in the morning. But it's there. And you know, if I take the time, sometimes I can't even write the ideas down quick enough. Like it was just coming and I would do this and I'd stay up till five, five thirty in the morning and I'd go back to sleep. 
but it never seems to affect my sleep. I think anybody that's like, oh, I wake up in the middle of the night and I couldn't go back to bed and I feel restless and, you know, it's affected your sleep. It never affected my sleep. At times, I'd actually wake up in the morning feeling more rested. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm getting twice as much REM sleep. I'd almost feel like I went to sleep twice. And I don't, I'd feel more rested. And it was almost like this gift waking up in the middle of the night. Because then I got to fall asleep again and get this second sleep experience. And I've always really enjoyed sleep. Even from like a little kid, my parents were like, you slept through the night, you like sleeping. And I do, like now, to this day, I love crawling into bed and falling asleep. It's a great feeling. It's an awesome feeling. But that's kind of this creative time and, uh, you know, feeling very inspired. Um, I was single at the time, so I wasn't sleeping next to anybody, I find. It's a little bit more difficult to wake up at four in the morning and start scribbling things and, you know, like running around the room with your ideas uh you know when you have somebody else in your life but you know at that time i didn't and i had this night light and i would i remember flicking it on to this like three of them or sorry i had three settings so like a low a medium and a high setting with the light and the room was painted orange and none of the rooms i'm in now have this color i know like a coral color let's call it coral so it's not really orange but there's just something warm about this this whole experience. And, uh, yeah. So, Andrew, orange, in terms of chakras, is your creative center, oh. which is in the pelvic area below the belly button. Okay. It's also the financial area. Okay. Cool. So well done. So, oh. yes, yeah, so well done. So maybe that's what I'm missing, because I, I thought it was the lamp. So, no. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> what, no, because I was like, okay, what am I doing differently now? Why can't I tap into that creativity? I'm like, it must be the lamp. I must, you know, maybe I'll get the lamp back and, you know, like that lighting, that dim lighting. But now that you mentioned it, yeah, there's something about that orange glow in the room in the middle of the night that it was still dark, but it, it felt like candlelight. It really felt like, you know, there was no distractions. I think that's the thing with 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. It feels like nothing else is awake. Nothing else is happening. Other people are asleep. Um, so even if you have people in the same building as you, they're all sleeping. So you get to like parade around with your ideas and no one's going to interrupt you. No one's going to distract you. Your cell phone's not going to go off. Um, and it's just this time where you can just be present. And, you know, I, I think I should bring this up because I feel like you want me to touch on this. So, uh <laughs> I, I, you know, those moments I've always felt like it's not me again. Like these ideas are coming from, I don't know where they're coming from. It's totally not me. They're just there. I'm kind of in tune to it. Mm -hmm. I think successful creative people might have a really good ability of getting into that space. Um, however they do it and just being open to letting that, come through them and that's how i've always felt about like those moments and those ideas and those designs like i said i haven't been as strong at that presently i think because i've got a lot on my plate but at that time i was very much able to like get into that zone every night i don't know why i'm waking up it just happens i haven't woke up in a while at four in the morning and felt that but beside the lamp was a photo of my grandpa yeah and uh i've always felt like you know it was you know this i was living at my parents house 
So I didn't decorate the room. I didn't choose for it to be orange. Now the show begins. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was living there because I'd gotten back from Whistler. I had all, all this equipment and stuff. And I hadn't, you know, I had a lot on the go. So I was just living there for convenience. Uh, you know, I was 24 at the time. So to move back home, it's kind of a funny thing. Um, but yeah, I, you know, and like seeing that photo of my grandpa there and like thinking back to like my childhood and stuff, I was kind of, I would, I would thank him for that creativity and that energy. It was kind of like one of these things where I'm like, you know, I don't necessarily have a religion or a faith um so you know some people might choose to thank god in that moment but i uh i always felt like it was coming from him yeah and yeah so that's my little gift to <laughs> you <laughs> okay thank you um it's one of you I guess you knew all along. Yeah. Your yeah. grandpa's been talking to me since this morning. Okay. And so inviting you here was to reconnect you again so that your juices can flow again. loves you. I can feel it. Mm -hmm. You have a big purpose, Andrew. It's the way love flows. It's what's supposed to be. And you allow it to. That's the beautiful man that I see. I feel like I get it from him, even though I didn't know him that well. Mm -hmm. He keeps telling me that he taps you on the forehead or mm -hmm. that you had a scar at some point. There's something about your forehead. Yeah. Um, and That's funny. I remember a time when I worked at Cheapskates, they have uh, a basement. I don't even know how this happened. I was running down the stairs and... I like went to jump the last couple of stairs and I hit my head on the ceiling and fell backwards onto the stairs. And I remember like, this should have hurt this, this whole thing should have been a painful thing, jumping up, hitting your head, falling backwards downstairs and rolling to the bottom. And I remember laughing when I got up to the bottom because it felt like somebody tapped me in the head and then caught me on these steps as I fell. And I'm like, that's so weird. I remember telling somebody that, like, it should have hurt. I should have bruises. Like, this whole thing should have been a painful experience. And, 
it wasn't. It, it felt like that. It felt like a tap on the head and a catch. Yeah. yeah. And Andrew, that's love. Hmm. As opposed to where some people actually do hurt each other and really do feel pain. And it's not love, but they call it love. Mm -hmm. So you have this beautiful heart in you that you, where you've been sitting here in my home with Kelly and I for the last two hours and the whole time you've been here, I've had, I've had different symptoms in my body as an empath mm -hmm. of feeling your heart opening, of feeling digestive issues and where you burp. <laughs> I was, yeah, these hiccups. That used to yeah, you, you get gas and, and where it, it gets stuck in you. Yeah. So being able to help you move that <laughs> and then watching your grandpa showing me different things so that in the conversation and as you're talking about your story, that what I get to do is watch how you've lived your life hmm. and that he has shared that with me so that I could see you through his eyes and be able to share that with you so that you are seen. And so that what you're trying to do with your feather is to let everybody know that they are being seen and that you acknowledge seeing each one of these souls through your eyes. And if I could just say again, what a beautiful man you are to walk around the planet seeing people and saying they are being seen, that they are important and that when they, when they wear your clothing, that when they put their, your feather out, that they're being seen too. And that your feather represents not just by another person, but that by the universe, that there, that there are different ways to be seen and loved. And that what you're trying to do is to link them back to that so that they can live that life. Did we do a good job together? Yeah, yeah. And like <laughs> piecing something together because you keep bringing up uh, childhood stuff. It was difficult. And, uh, you know, one of the things that it taught me is I'm like, I'm never, ever going to treat anybody the way I was treated. So, you know, one of the things that's been nice about having the store is just trying to make sure that everybody that walks in the door, no matter who they are, gets the same treatment and feels good coming into the store, has a good experience, and just being able to connect with that person one-on-one. -on -one. Because even when I was starting the brand, I didn't really see it going beyond myself necessarily. And there is something that I was like, you know, really cool about being able to interact with all these people personally. And that was something that I really liked about it. Now I don't always get to be the one that's behind the desk interacting with everybody and with online sales, you don't get that personal experience, but yeah, there's something special about that. Well, then there's something special about the fact that with every single person you interact with, that's what you give to people. That's why you have star quality. That's why people are attracted to you and to what you do and why what you do in life will always be successful. Mm -hmm. That's why you can leap. I look forward to watching how many times you leap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all the crazy ways that you're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, because lately I've been thinking a lot about challenging myself in different areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Uh, there's something I, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about, I was expecting to talk about a little bit, was, uh, you know, every year I try to challenge myself to do something new. Um, and just, you know, sometimes I really enjoy it, other times not so much, but it's always fun to kind of experiment and see what else is out there. Because mm-hmm. now, you know, at the time snowboarding was my my thing, you know, it got me through the tough years and, you know, showed me, you know, how fun life can be in a time when, you know, things weren't so great. Um, and I've developed the same sort of passion now for kiteboarding, which is, you know, kind of in a different stroke. It's something different, something new, but I'm finding the same sort of passion in other areas and just being open to pursuing that because, you know, 10 years ago, I would have said, no, snowboarding's it for me for the rest of my life. Now that I've experimented and tried other things, it's like, oh, well, there's so many other great things out there. You know, I've got to try them all now. You know, I've got to push myself in these different avenues. And that's kind of a, a personal thing that I just want to challenge myself to see how far I can take things in different avenues of my life. Relationships, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I, is that cor- and that's correct when I say that I don't want to put words into your mouth. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So, th- so that it goes into not just the career aspect or the I'm having fun on the weekend aspect, yeah. that, but that it's also what you do in relationships with your friends, with mm-hmm. your family, with professionals, with client, with your customers. Sorry, customers. Yeah. But that that's. That's what, when she says about the integrity, when Kelly's talking about how she sees the integrity of who you are, come into your product, come into your message, that it weaves through everything in your life mm-hmm. and that so many other people are so disconnected from each part. They might have great integrity at work, but they suck with their wives or, or they suck yeah. with their kids or yeah. uh, they're great with so many certain friends, but they're just a mean bugger to one friend. <laughs> yeah. That, And we all know those people. Uh, that that do that but that where you're saying where or for what i'm understanding from you and your energy is that you're trying to weave i kelly and i are energy healers so we see it in terms of the threads of the dna okay. and i'll call it threading and you are in clothing industry so we get thread <laughs> is that good i love the connection yeah <laughs> is that but that is that okay yeah. yeah so if you're pulling a thread and unraveling something or you're sewing something to heal it and put it back together again, you see it in terms of one way, but you also do in terms of integrity. We also do in terms of integrity and healing and lifetimes and biology and organs and cellular structure and relationships and careers and all of it. And so where I see that both Kelly and I see it in the whole, so do you. And I think that's one of the reasons why I personally had, though I had never met you or heard about you before, was that I was excited. As soon as Kelly said your name, I felt the energy of you. And that's what got me excited was the energy of who you are um, and to be able to discover you as a human being. Can I add to that? Um, I'm just going to move the mic for just a sec. And... um, through the conversation like for at least an hour now (laughs) he keeps asking me to ask you about the gold or about about the sparkles okay and um so at this point in the conversation i feel more uh, comfortable enough with you to ask you if there's a story about the sparkles 
Um, yeah, there is a story. Um, I think I'd also like to mention that we did have this discussion uh, together just moments before mm-hmm. uh, bringing it back onto the mic because it wasn't something I particularly, I guess, felt ready to, to you know, talk to everybody about, so to speak. Um, but we decided to retell the story here. Uh, so I'll just do the best I can. And I just want to clarify that I did not muscle you. No, 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 not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> so it's, it's interesting, um, because I have this strong memory and I've had this strong memory for as long as I can remember. And I'll do my best to describe it. It is uh, just of this this darkness that is getting lit up by these golden and white sparkles. It's the best way to describe it. And in that space, um, you know, it kind of feels like your eyelids are closed. It's behind your eyelids there's this intense feeling of energy and I'd say it feels almost like you can feel everything all at once. And, um, this memory is really powerful because to me, um, it felt like I had the choice between different lives and I was able to choose the life I am living now. And I made the decision knowing full well that I was going to have a challenging childhood. But there was a greater purpose beyond that. And that it was going to be, you know, worth going through those challenges. Because there was going to be something worth living through at the other end of it and uh so yeah it was kind of a memory of choosing where i'm at now i don't know if i'm doing this justice right now that's okay yeah i felt like earlier when we discussed it we did a better job but that's okay yeah no two things and no two experiences are ever the same even when we when we remember yeah yeah and i think um, anyone can relate to the fact that words can diminish the feeling. Yeah. You, you try as you might. There's never true. There's I never think a perfect way to. I think in the, in the moment we had kind of I was feeling a lot more mm-hmm. in the moments when I was explaining you the story. I feel like it just came out mm-hmm. perfect, and now it's you know it's a little bit different. It's not. But and then, but I asked you to retell the story because those sparkles were connected to your ability to create again. Yeah. And how how you had created your life at that moment. Yeah. But that you were back at another time in your life trying to create again, trying to, we call it sometimes create, getting the creative juices flowing. That's an expression people can relate to. Yeah. But it really does mean that you're creating who you are, yeah. your essence, your energy, and the forms that it takes, the relationships that it takes in a lifetime. And I think back to the intention. 
right? And that's something that's a common thread, again, that we've had throughout the this entire session, is you coming back to that memory. Yeah. And, and co- not coincidentally, in, at this point in your life, where you are wanting to, you know, that quote, get, it, get the juices flowing again, it's coming back to that essence and that intention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's one of those um, almost reassuring feelings that... Uh, like I'm on the right track. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Don't give up even when the times are tough. So even when things are really, really difficult and, you know, people around you are telling you to like move on or change or shift, just knowing that, no, it's worth giving it another shot. Like there's a reason I'm doing this. Yeah. And it's only important to you. Yeah. It's only important to you and your own soul and what other people are going to, to learn or to get out of that is only important to them too. Yeah. But how there's that web of that it's connected. And I I think too, Andrew, one of the reasons I asked you if you would still share that when we came back from breaking was because each person is trying to find that feeling or that little bit of peace. Yeah. They're trying to find something that sparks them again. Yeah. And wondering why I'll say celebrities or certain people look like they live in that those moments all the time. Yeah. So that's why we're interested in them because we want to ha- we want that to rub off a little bit on us so that we can feel alive or purposeful again. Right. And that maybe that is in fact part of the the reason why you've created the feather and why that was so important to you to spend a whole year creating that feather just a certain way to have such a certain light and a color and whatever it is, everything that you picked about it so that from everything from the beginning of the time of your first memory of that, the gold and white sparkles, that somehow you've manifested it right here on earth in your feather, in everything that you create that extends beyond you, which is what we're, is the purpose of living a life. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't it nice grandpa came to kind of remind you that you're doing it? Yeah. And and I think like sometimes like as mediums, Kelly and I get to share those types of things with people and they are that intimate. They are that beautiful. Um, and But the meaning it really is for you, for what you take from that now. That's the importance of it. Mm-hmm. And that if somebody's hearing this and they get some importance out of your story of because they see sparkles, because they have their own original memories of something, or this sparks them to go back and find an original memory, uh, what the heck does that mean? Yeah. But you send them on that path of seeking it, um, or they get a synchronistic moment and go, oh my God, that is that is what's supposed to be a lifetime? This is how somebody is a success, quote unquote, that maybe you're just giving them that, Giving them a, yeah. I, I think you give people permission um, and that they might not know that they're even seeking it because you don't live in a box, you don't live in the systems um, and for those I'm going to go back to the children who so badly don't fit in those boxes we're still trying to put them in um, and the teenagers now who are growing up in, in a different generation get to see this and hear your story and hear what you're so willing to share with people Um that, that changes people, that changes their DNA, right? It gives them permission to go back to their memories, to go back to their truth, mm-hmm. which is what you constantly live in. It's that space that you you constantly honor. I think about how vulnerable we are when we get into when we try to seek that space out because if anybody criticizes us 
whether it's our partner or, um, or just negates us, just doesn't acknowledge it, just withholds from us, um, how vulnerable we feel when people do those things to us in different types of abuse, um, that we then kind of close that, put the sparkles back in the box Mm -hmm. and put it away. Yeah. 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 You forget about it. You know, even, even myself, uh, you know, in the years that I've launched the brand, you know, it's like you said, rediscovering it and getting back to, to it, you know, Mm -hmm. getting back on track, getting back to being in tune with the why it all started, you know, and why I'm doing it. I think it's nice, like, to be asked to do interviews sometimes because the people are going to ask you the same questions over and over again. Yeah. And as you're being asked the questions over and over again with di- with different people, you still have to reconnect to the real reason you began everything. Or it does just become the job. So sometimes it allows you to be that reflective and get reconnected too. Hmm. Yeah. You learn something through that process, right? About yourself. Yeah, you grow through it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm having fun. (laughs) This is fun. (laughs) This is fun. I hope people can feel that energy. Uh, The the three of us can feel here right now. And and that for those that are seeking their gold gold sparkled box, uh, (laughs) that they that maybe they can see you at Northgate or on the internet or however they connect with you through social media or whatever, Andrew. And that when you invite them to, you know how you invited them to share their story, um, that, that you might get those messages about their sparkles and what that did. Yeah, no. And and I see it, you know, a good example of this is my friend, Jonathan Haskins, who uh, last summer decided to trek across Canada you know, he had this idea to um, travel coast to coast on his bicycle before turning 30. And that year he was turning 30 and this dream was about to, uh, you know, fall through the cracks like they do. And he decided that that was this important. That was more important than work and other things that had going on in his life. So he decided to put that all on hold. And he decided to embark on this journey and his friend joined him and he went for seven months. And he did 11,000 kilometers because they didn't do, you know, a straight line. They zigged and zagged and got to experience all of Canada on their bikes. And, you know, it was a tough journey. It wasn't an easy journey, but it was one that, you know, he uh, he decided that this was important to him. He was going to do it. And he definitely came back a different person. And he, he found love soon after. And he found a new job and, like, a new life. And it's amazing how you know, it transformed him as a person and I see it, you know, I feel he's more in tune with himself. Which I think can allow the people who love him to love him more. Yeah. And sometimes when we are in relationships, we can become afraid of our partners changing. Sometimes we don't want them to change because we're afraid we're not going to love them anymore. And you're talking about inviting people to change so you can be loved more. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would I'd almost say 
you know, more more so improvements. I think change can go one way or another. But opening up, you know, your friends and family to creating a better version of themselves. You know, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of talk in relationships where, you know, the example of the woman who wants to change the man and they find themselves in a trap because she can't. You know, it's up to the individual to make the changes in their own life. And I think a lot of times people struggle with the fact that they can see the potential in someone that that person can't see in themselves. And they know that it's there and they try to pull it out of them. But until the person themselves wakes up to that, they're, they're not fully able to reach their potential. And And I see that. I see that in a lot of my friends. I remember... When I came back from Whistler, um, you know, a lot of my friends were musicians and they're really talented and I could see that in them. And I really, really wanted to encourage them to have the same sort of energy that I had in my project to put forward into their project. Because I knew that if they focused on it more, instead of it just being a hobby or the side project, that they could do so much with it and they could really create a new existence for themselves through their music you know through their talents through their gift and i think a lot of people have that just recognizing what your gift is what your talent is and focusing on that and not letting that go not letting that get distracted by the nine to five job mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. still being able to be playful yeah yeah it's it's something I'll say that some educational systems can pull out of a life experience instead of encouraging it to be part of it. And I don't just mean in, in gym class or in um, art class, you know, for a little while, um, like for an hour of the day, but that was supposed to be part of our lives to be able to be playful and to use that because that creates the energy for everything else. Yeah. 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 So you're no longer, you know, you could see it in someone's eyes almost that sparkle is gone mm-hmm. you know that energy is gone from them and it's you know if taking a little bit of time for yourself every day it's going to bring that back mm-hmm. i think you'll see that well, a general improvement in every area of your life like you said mm-hmm. you're earlier you're talking about a husband and wife you know and the wife no longer loves the husband but you know in a sense that husband no longer loves himself or the version of himself at that time yeah you know, and that's a scary thing when that happens. So it's, yeah. you know, I think the quickest way to rediscover that love for self is to reconnect with what you're passionate about. Yeah. And, and it takes time to figure it out. Lots oh, yeah. of people will come and see people like Kelly and I and say, tell me. Yes. Uh, you're the <laughs> psychic. Uh, you tell me what I'm passionate about. Aren't you yeah. supposed to know this? And uh, I want to say, put your nickel in the jar for <laughs> my retirement. <laughs> Because I'll be be rich. <laughs> yeah. For every time I answer that question, well, but people want us to do the work for them. That's, that's right. right. Instead yeah. of being able to say and to do the work for themselves and help them on that journey, yeah. Give them their affirmations. There's lots we can still do. Well, and I think that goes back to what I was saying about you honoring your process. Is because mm-hmm. people want that quick fix or that quick answer from us or whoever it is they're they're yeah. seeking advice from. Um, but that's not how it happens. They have to go through their own process and all of their 
steps and missteps um, to figure out. Lately, uh, I haven't been tattooed since I was very young. And I've been thinking about getting a tattoo recently, just recently. And I haven't had the urge for a long time, but it's something that says nothing lasts forever. And that's good and bad. You know, I mean, if you're going through a hardship, know that that's not going to be forever and you will get through it and that will change. And also the most amazing moments you have in life aren't going to last forever either. So do your best to enjoy that moment as much as you can be present in that moment and not take it for granted because that too won't last forever. So it's a, it's a dual message. Mm -hmm. Um, it can give you strength when you need it, but it can also remind you to really be grateful for the great things that are happening when they are happening. So, yeah. Mm hmm. So, Andrew, would you like to... I'm, I'm just going to ask you if you want to um, take this in a different direction. We've been asking you questions. We've been um, kind of putting you, I'll say, on the chair yeah. uh, for the last couple of hours. Yeah, yeah. So, is it? are you in a space where you, there's something that you want to bring to this? I don't know. At this point, I feel okay. pretty good with everything that we've discussed. Okay. I feel like, you know, I'd love to continue talking with the two of you because I feel like something's coming from this, but yeah. Would you come back? Absolutely. I look forward to your stories. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So for the next time that you come back, um, maybe you can come back with some stories you want to share. Okay. But maybe you can also come back with some things where maybe you want to ask us some questions. Okay. Um, so that it, maybe it goes That's fine. both sure. ways. Um, and I don't know where that will lead, but I'll just put it out there that way. Because okay. we, we really put you on, on the, in the questioning box today. <laughs> yeah. Your yeah. sayings are awful. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, it's kind of great, but... The questioning box. Um, <laughs> I'm on the hot seat. That's what we were talking Yeah? You're I, on the I, hot seat? I keep seat? feeling like the penalty box. My dad was like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, we could do different metaphors for different sports. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. You just need to get them right. That's all. Yeah, and I wouldn't, so I'll pass. <laughs> that was awesome. Andrew, thank, thank you. you. Thanks. Yeah, that was um, a big pleasure. Very much. Well, yeah, that's reciprocated. This is been an unexpected uh but very uh incredible experience so thank you oh you're welcome yeah you're welcome yeah so stay tuned people he's coming back <laughs> coming back <laughs> batman will return dun, dun, dun. <laughs>